0: When I was a kid, uh, I mean, I was into sports, I wasn't into music or cars, but there was one car I really wanted. It wasn't even really a car. It was a van and it wasn't some small like minivan. I mean, I don't even think they had those back then. It was a legit van. I mean like big enough, you could run like a catering service out of the back of it, but this van was decked out. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be all black man have sweet wheels, the whole deal. And it was even going to have a spoiler on top of it because, What kind of like catering van doesn't need a spoiler? But the coolest thing about my van, at the back of the van, there was gonna be a secret compartment, and in that compartment is where I was going to hide all my machine guns. It was gonna be pretty awesome. Because again, you never know when you need a machine gun. Even as I share this story with you, I'm hearing myself saying it, and I realize I sound like the most creepy kid ever. Like, who, anyway. If you're under the age of 35, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the A-Team van. The A-Team was a TV show during the mid-80s, and Mr. T drove around this cool van. And every episode of the A-Team worked out exactly the same way. They would get themselves in some kind of trouble. They would need a plan. They would get the guns out of the secret compartment in the back of the van. They would shoot at people's feet for like 10 seconds or something. The plan would work, they'd save the world, and all things were great. And every episode ended the same way. Hannibal, the leader of the A-Team, would look back at the camera at the end and he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. We all make plans, all of us, all the time, and some of us are real planners. I mean you find joy in making plans and you've got the spreadsheets to prove it. Uh, Some of you are sitting next to those people. And we've all heard, you know, that kind of worn out saying, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. But the truth is 2020 is not going according to plan. There is no way you thought this year was going to work out the way that it has. It just hasn't gone according to plan. And when our lives don't go according to our plan, it's easy to feel disappointed, frustrated, angry, even depressed, and just down. And when that happens when our plans don't work out we're challenged and so i want to give you a statement i want you to hear this our unfulfilled plans can become a distracting static to the sovereign melody of god's will let me say it again our unfulfilled plans can become a distracting static to the sovereign melody of god's will since I'm talking about life in the 80s, some of you guys will remember listening to radios when you would travel. And you'd be listening to a song or a ball game and the further you got out of the city limits and the further you got away from those radio that radio tower, you'd have to listen harder through the static. The song would begin to crackle, uh, the game would come in and out, and you would have to really just lean in with all your attention to hear through the static, to hear the content that you were set apart to hear. That's my challenge for you this morning. I wanna challenge you to listen through the static of your plans, of your unfulfilled plans, because they're bringing static to the way we hear and see what God is doing to his will and to his plans. And to help you do that, I wanna just kinda give you two quick truths to just guide us in that this morning. They're both here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse two. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Verse 9, the heart, remember heart in the Old Testament is an emotion, heart is intellect, it's mind, it's all you can kind of mentally muster. The heart of man Plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. A couple things, here they are really quick. First, all our plans seem right to us. All our plans seem right to us. They seem pure to us. They make sense to us. And so we have to acknowledge something. We have to acknowledge our propensity to be self-deceived, to think our plans are better than what they are. We also have to acknowledge that God is not deceived by our plans. He sees through that static to who we really are. He sees us. Second, God's plans are sovereign. God's plans are sovereigns. God's plans are established. They come to be. We just have to acknowledge that. And we also then have to acknowledge if we align our work with His will, His plans, then our plans will be established in him. So those things are really important as we walk through this. All our plans seem right and pure to us, and God's plans are sovereign. So we've been reading through the Bible in 2020, and we're now beginning 1 Chronicles. And so we've been in Samuel, and we've been in Kings, and now 1 Chronicles. And the first thing you're gonna notice is there's gonna be a lot of overlap here. So a lot of the stories that you're gonna read in 1 Chronicles You're going to have read in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings. You're going to see that overlap. And Chronicles really documents the kings of Israel, specifically the kings of Judah, after the split, and just kind of follows their reign and how, again, how Israel uh, really was be faithful and, for the most part, would be unfaithful during that time. We're going to focus in just on 1 Chronicles 17 today. 1 Chronicles 17. All right. First Chronicle 17 is one of the greatest covenants in all of scripture. That's God's covenant with David. We read about that earlier in 2nd Samuel 17 or 2nd Samuel 7 as well. But as we do this, I want you to pause and I want you to catch something. All this begins with a plan. David has a plan. That's the context for what we begin to read in verse 1 in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Note David's plan. Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So here's what's happening. David is just assessing his situation and he's looking around and he's going, man, my crib is posh. Guys, I got that house of cedar up in here. This is nice. But he looks out and he sees the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence with his people and the Ark sitting under a tent. And so David thinks up a plan. Now, I don't want you to pay a lot of attention to motive or thought or I don't want you to kind of read into that. I just want you to acknowledge that Within the broader context, it would be normal in ancient uh, Near East history for a kingdom to link itself to its deity. So in other words, you would go into a place and you would see the palace and the temple sitting next to each other. A direct connection between the king's dependence on the deity and the two working together, palace and temple at hand. And so David has a plan. Let's build a house for the Lord. And he goes to Nathan, and he kind of gives this idea to Nathan, and Nathan responds back, Do all that is in your heart. God is with you. So again, I don't want you to focus on motive, and I don't want you to focus on merit, and I don't want you to even focus on the method just yet. I want you to realize David has set his heart on a plan. He set his heart on a plan, a plan that seems right to him. And just pause and be real for just a second. Have you ever had your mind set on a plan? Have you ever set your heart on a plan? You sought counsel and it's affirmed and you're excited. I mean, you're pumped. This is my plan. Wise counsel agrees with it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then verse three, but the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. And just like that, David's plan is shut down. Again, pause and think about it. David has set his heart on a plan. It seems right to him. It seems like a good idea. He sought wise counsel. Nathan affirmed his plan. Go do all that is in your heart. God is with you. David's getting excited. I mean, you would be too. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably going to sleep that night thinking about how he's gonna build it, the architecture, all that's wrapped up into his plan. He's dreaming about it. He's excited about it. It's his plan. And now he's told, no, no, ask yourself, how do you respond when the answer to your plan is no? I mean, really think about that. It seemed right to you, your job, the idea of your family, your house, that social affirmation. It all seems right to you, but then you're told no. You're told no. You lose your job. Your family's a mess. You can't afford the things you planned for. You're marginalized by your peers. Your body breaks down. You can't do what you planned. How do you respond when the answer to your plan is no? That's the context for what we're reading right now. And in verse 5, the Lord goes on and he says, For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent, from dwelling to dwelling, in all places where I have moved with all Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? This is an explanation. God is speaking back to David through Nathan, and he's saying, David, this is your idea. Have you ever heard me speak this? Have you ever heard me reveal this plan? Have I ever said anything to anyone about it? David, this isn't for me. This is your plan. He goes on in verse 7. He says, now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now again, this is not a history lesson. It's an explanation. David's standing, his position, is God's work. God is making clear He underst- uh, that David understands that it is God who establishes our steps. God took David from the pastor to the palace. God took David from a shepherd to a king. It was God's work. It wasn't David's plan. It was God's plan and his work. God has done this thing. It, he's saying to David, look, you didn't accomplish this. You didn't take it. And instead, God took David for his plan. God established David's steps for his plan. And so God is saying, remember, remember, my plans are sovereign, not yours. And so with this in mind, God continues and he makes his covenant with David. Continuing in verse 8, and I will make for you a name a name of the great ones of earth and i will appoint a place for my people israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that i appointed judges over my people israel and i will subdue all your enemies Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so real quick, just a summary of the covenant here. Just an overview and a summary. Two things you need to know. God promises to establish his temple through David's son. We know that will happen through Solomon. His temple, a physical structure that will be built that will represent God's presence with his people. That temple will look ahead even to our bodies in which the indwelling of the Spirit will take place in those who follow Jesus. But the temple is something that Israel will deem precious over uh, really the next few years. It will be an important part of the story as we read through 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's an important part in God's revelation and his plan among his people. Again, it represents his presence among his people. But you need to note that even here in this covenant, at this time, it's really still a sub-point. It's not the main point. I mean, after all, God is not contained or defined in a box, whether it's made of cedar or anything else. God is bigger than all those things. We're not going to build a house for God. God instead is building a house for us. Second thing you'll see is God promises to establish an everlasting kingdom from David's line, an eternal dynasty. And so the house that God is going to build for David is beyond any human design. It goes beyond any human lineage. It will be established forever and forever for eternity to come through Jesus. And the importance of this covenant is reinforced even in Luke chapter one. As Jesus is introduced, I want you to notice how the angel who speaks to Mary introduces Jesus. Beginning in verse 30, the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary. The angel of the Lord revealing to Mary that God was taking on flesh. I want you to think of all the ways that introduction could have happened. But this angel appointed by God reveals the very Son of God and the Savior of the world to come through this covenant promise to David. That there will be a descendant of yours who will sit on the throne forever forever and so for all of us here who are in Jesus we're in Christ Jesus we are Jesus followers we are adopted into the family of God and Christ is our king not just for a generation but for all of eternity and he comes in that line of David. He is the fulfillment of the promise the Father gave to David all the way back here into Chronicles. And if you're here and you're listening to this and there's never been a point in time in your life where you have repented and placed saving faith in Christ, you need to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Redeemer. He is the King of King and Lord of Lords. He is the only one And there is only salvation and there is only eternal life in him and as we read through these things and as we wrestle with god's word i pray that wherever you're sitting and wherever you're watching this that the realization the revelation of god taking on flesh fulfilling the promise that's given to david that a descendant of his would reign forever and ever lord i just pray that that truth would saturate your mind and your heart right where you sit. That you would come to understand there is only one God and he has revealed himself through Jesus, the fulfillment of this covenant with David. This this covenant's huge. It's enormous. But what I don't want you to miss and what I want us as the church to wrestle with this morning, it could have easily been dismissed by David. David could have easily set this aside. You say, well, what? that's a huge promise. Well, it is if you're looking at it back. But if you're in that moment and you're selfish, like I'm selfish, maybe you're not, but I'm pretty selfish. All these promises are things that happened well after David. It's his legacy and his lineage. If he were self-focused, he, he might think, well, what about me now? And what about the things I want now? And what about my plans? God, I know these are your plans, but what about my plans? If you don't think that's true, think of Esau. Remember, Esau sold out his birthright and his place in the covenant for a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew. But David doesn't respond that way. Verse 16, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. That's our big truth today. God does great works for our sake according to his purpose. You see that right there in verse 19. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness. I want to unpack that in just a few implications for you. A few big ideas. First, right response to God's plan rests in God's grace. David rests in God's grace. He says, who am I? who am I? What is my house? According to your own heart, he says, you know me. I mean, think about who's saying this. David would go on, if you really want to be harsh on David, he's a murderer. Uh, Today we would call him a rapist. We would look at David and say he's a horrible leader that made decisions that cost the lives of thousands of his people. And he looks back at the Lord and he says, you know me. You're not deceived by me. You know me. There is no illusion of David's merit. There is none. See, there's nothing we add to God's plan. Right response to God's plan rests in God's grace. It is a gift, and we rest fully in his plan. We have no illusion of adding to it, no illusion of our merit in it. Second, right response to God's plan rests in God's sovereignty. David rests in God's sovereignty. He says, this is a small thing in your eyes. He says, you have spoken. Future generations. He says, the greatness, this great work, He says, there is none like you, O Lord, no God besides you. There is no illusion of a second authority. David has no illusion, whether that be himself or anyone else, any other being. There is no illusion of a second authority. In other words, there is no alternative plan. There is no other plan. There is no other being who establishes the steps of man, who puts into and sustains all life. There is only one God, and he is sovereign. And right response to God's plan rests in his sovereignty. Third, right response to God's plan rests in God's motive. David rests in God's motive. Listen to what he says. For your servant's sake, according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness. There is no illusion of a better plan. David, now, this is important. David doesn't come back and say, but God, I've got a better plan. There, there is no better plan. And there's, there's no sense that this plan isn't for David's good. Now, David recognizes immediately for his sake, according to God's own heart, according to his plan, he is doing all this greatness. There is no illusion of a better plan. Our right response to God's plan rests in his motive. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8.28 when he reminds us that God is working together all things for our good who are in him. All things for our good. It's that principle that we can rest in God's plan because God's plan is for our good. See, David had a plan to build a house for God. God instead built a house for David. David's plan seemed good to him, but God's plan was immeasurably better. It was better David's plan seemed good, but God's plan was good, is good. And David responded accordingly. He rested in those things. And so I want to just, again, pull your attention back and let you realize David could have stiff-armed God's plan. He, He could have. He could have pouted, he could have manipulated, he could have twisted, he could have rebelled. He could have excused himself. He could have pointed at Nathan and say, well, listen, God, I sought wise counsel and Nathan said I could. He said you were with me. He's your prophet. It's on him. But instead, as God revealed his plan, that's important, as God revealed his plan, David humbly and joyfully submitted himself and his work to God's plan, to his will. See, God has revealed great things to you and I. His word is filled with promises that are just mind-blowing, great things, good things for you and I. But we lose our ear for them. The static of our plans for lesser things that seem good to us, that static grows louder and louder. And it becomes a distraction from our eternal covenant with Christ. And we tend to want to hold on to the illusions of our plan. And as we try to hold on to our plans that will not be fulfilled, we bear the fruit of those unfulfilled plans. Frustration. Despair. Depression. Anger. Church, you have to let go of your plans. You've got to discern the difference between the plans of God that you are called to submit to and the lesser things that we so are tempted to put our affections toward. You've got to let go of the illusions of of the plans that you cannot fulfill. And instead, back to Proverbs 16:3, you must commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Why, because they're yours and no, but because they're his. And in that, you will in faith claim truths that are beyond your understanding. You will rest in God's grace in his grace, you will rest in his sovereignty, and you will rest in his motive that is certain. See, be reminded, our plans seem good to us, but our plans are flawed, even the best of our plans. It is hard for us to know what is truly good in our plans, but we know with certainty that God's plans are good. Let go of the illusions of your plans. Dig into God's Word. Read His promises. Read the truths as He has revealed Himself to be. And read the truths of who you are as His Word reveals and teaches you who you are. And submit your life to His will. And discern the difference between your plans that lead to frustration and heartache and despair and committing your work to the Lord and submitting to his plans, which are for your good. Will you find joy in God's great work? Here's the thought. Will you tune in to the sovereign melody of God's plan? David started all of this with a plan that was his own idea he was going to build a house for god it seemed good to him but god had a better plan god had a plan for david's good god was going to build a house for david david could have responded with a stiff arm and with an excuse but he responded in humility And he found rest in God's grace, his sovereignty, and his motive, his goodness. Church, I pray that with everything going on around us, we too would humbly respond to God's plan and rest in who he is and his will for our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good and your plans are good. Give us the boldness and the faithfulness to commit our lives to your work and to align our will, our plan with you. May we trust and find rest in your grace, in your sovereignty, and in your motive. Father, you are good and everything you have for us is good. May we rest in you. May we abide in your son, Jesus. And may your plans, your will be done in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.